Right now, it's impossible to talk without thinking about the current state of America. On behalf of the Turbo Team podcast, we hate what has happened and what is happening. George Floyd and the black community deserve justice, and they deserve peace. Today, we wanted to use our platform to share our opinions and perspectives on the issue of systemic racism and inequality in modern-day America. In the first half of the episode, we reviewed a social commentary by Boots Riley called Sorry to Bother You. This review is what you're used to on this channel, and it's more of a traditional review on our show. But at the 33-minute mark, we compare the movie to the modern day and give our thoughts on the current situation. Thank you for listening, and here's the intro. The Turbo Team Podcast. With Jake Brand. Don't you go anywhere near that! Ben Neeson. Like just being caught metaphorically with your pants down. And Alex Powell. You know I saw those cute one time? Tommy Gun. Reviewing and breaking down movies and TV shows from all genres. This is the Turbo Team Podcast. Hello and welcome back to week 10 of the Turbo Team Podcast. I'm your host Jake Brandon. Just before we start today, we are going to be touching on some sensitive topics right now that are going on in current day America with the killing of George Floyd caused quite the outrage in America. And we decided to watch a movie called Sorry to Bother You with Lakeith Stanfield. And it's, it's really a social commentary on the modern day racism and the modern day problems of capitalism. We, we chose this movie because not only are is its serious tones and messages about racism really good, it's also a little bit of a comedy that we're able to maybe even laugh a little bit while talking about this super somber and serious issue. So without further ado, today I'm joined by Alex Powell. How are you doing, Alex? Doing well, Jake. How are you? I could be better, but not, not too bad. And we're also joined... In Madison, Wisconsin, by Ben Neeson. How hey, you, ben? how's it going, guys? <laughs> how's Madison? <laughs> oh, uh, just like her namesake, the she's she's a beauty up here in Wisconsin. It's supposed to be live, but Ben decided to go to Wisconsin literally this morning. So I don't see what the big deal is. It sounds the same. Well, no, but okay. <laughs> Agree to disagree. So the movie that we watched today was, as I already mentioned, Sorry to Bother You. It's a film that I don't really know how to describe. And if you're listening to this and haven't seen the movie, we will be getting into spoilers. And I would recommend that you just like turn this podcast off now and watch the movie before coming back to listen. Because this movie is... It's insane, and you don't want... You can't really, if, des- you can't really describe yeah, it. You want if, to watch it. If you, want, if you want to know the ending, you should get it for yourself, not have it told, because it probably won't do it justice. So there, there's your spoiler warning. This is always a spoiler podcast, so don't listen to this podcast if you don't want to have movies spoiled. So it's directed by Boots Riley, starring like Keith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Danny Glover... Terry Crews, just to name a few. It's a very artistic indie film that was released in just a handful of theaters back in 2018. 
Ben and I were lucky enough to watch it twice while in theaters. One of the one of my favorite experiences of all time. Just on Ben, how many times have you seen it? Probably three or four. Uh, I've seen it about three times, uh, including this, and I think we saw it twice in theaters yeah. with like a month or two in between. What were your thoughts on your third viewing? Um, third viewing, it's been a while, considering that when we first saw the movie, we were, <laughs> we were all about, like, the movie, like, we were quoting, uh, dude, I'm from East Oakland, talk to me normal, <laughs> uh, for that whole summer, and into that fall, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of, like, gotten, uh, tired of saying that and thinking of the movie, just because, like, how pre- predominant it was, like, <laughs> in our friend group talking about it. But revisiting it, uh, I forgot how uh, much it sucks you into the environment that it sort of builds. Like, it has its own specific tone that, like, is really attractive. And I remembered instantly, like, once I started watching it again. It's a really attractive film. Looks real nice. You were talking about Julia Fox last week. I'm I'm all for Tessa Thompson this week. We stand Julia Fox on this podcast. (laughs) Alex, what did you think of the movie on your first viewing? I thought it was really... It definitely was not what I expected, like, at all. I didn't expect that wackiness. I So, I knew it was more of a comedy. So, when... So, uh, Sorry to Bother You and then Black Klansman came out around the same time, and they kind of tackle basically the same issue in a different way. And so, I, you guys saw Sorry to Bother You, and we're big fans of it. I saw Black Klansman, or we're a big fan of that. And so... Going into this movie, I was expecting a lot like Black Klansman, but I felt this one was just far way out of left field compared to what I was expecting. I was expecting kind of a more of a serious commentary on with like some comedy thrown in there. But it was like it was like a it was like a wacky comedy with like with like pretty deep meaning to it, you know. So I thought I told you before we started recording, but I thought it kind of was a mix between a Wes Anderson film and a Jordan Peele film in terms of, it had like the wackiness of a, of a, of a Wes Anderson film. And it had like the wackiness and the colors of a Wes Anderson film, but it had like the lighting and like the deeper meanings and symbolism and darkness of a Jordan Peele film, you know? So I thought Boots Riley did a really good job for basically his first film. Uh, it was, it was really, really like just pleasing to watch. The colors were fantastic. And then the story was kept you engaged and then the cinematography was awesome. The camera work was great. And it was overall a really, really enjoyable film. Yeah, I think before we get into the more serious tones and themes of this movie, we should just, like, talk about the comedy and the and some of the lighter stuff. And I just thought, like, overall, on my this was probably my fourth or fifth viewing. I didn't find it as funny as I did the first time, but it mm-hmm. still holds up really well and is really funny. I love... I love all this stuff with Danny Glover, and for some reason I can't remember um, the guy that isn't named Squeeze, the Cash's friend who's the the coworker. Oh, uh, I don't know his name, but his uh, real name is Jermaine Fowler. Yeah, that scene where they're just like arguing with each other, like I hope you have a fantastic week yeah. filled with great yeah, days. He... Like that's one of the f- funniest scenes of the entire movie. Yeah, you smell good. What you got on? Just regular deodorant. Well, it smells nice. I just thought all of the comedy in the movie 
was executed really well and wasn't like very in your face if that makes any sense like it wasn't it was a comedy without trying to be like a make you piss your pants comedy it was kind yeah. of just like a casual comedy like it was just in rhythm with their normal sentences and they just kept on rolling like they didn't have a whole uh a, a audience uh laugh break after that or any lead up very to the jokes they just happened it was, it was, no laugh track smooth. in this movie it was a very smooth transition, like, for the comedy, you know? Not transition, when, but implementation. Oh, uh, when I think of the comedy and, like, how, like, casual and, like, flowing it was throughout the movie, uh, I thought of the scene where, like, uh, they're leaving a bar, I think, and uh, Cassius is talking about how he doesn't want to be compared to how he was in high school. And he was like, I mean, just look at our football team. Like, literally, look at them. <laughs> they're out there still playing. <laughs> All the stuff with the football team is... Like, that's the type of the stuff in the movie that's just, like, so out of left field, like Alex was saying. Just, like, <laughs> the football yeah. team was just, like, in three different scenes. And I couldn't <laughs> tell if, like, they were flashbacks or if, like, they were actually there. They are just, like, <laughs> hugging, basically. It looked like they are all just hugging each other. <laughs> yeah, like, that's funny, like, that's funny by itself, but, like, it also, like, plays into the themes of him wanting to move past his past during that also like the like the, i get like the whole horse people thing i get how it has like a deeper meaning but just every scene i couldn't help but laugh at them just because they're just so funny looking you know like even yeah. the scene in the bathroom where he's like hey man can you help me he, like falls out of the stall and like he stands feels like freaking out i was like dude what is this like i just thought it was funny more than anything. yeah yeah like, so it was like your initial reaction because it's been two years since I've seen this movie for the first time. And mm-hmm. I don't really remember like that shock factor. How much of like a shock factor was it? For I you definitely did the movie. I definitely didn't expect it. I was like, but I wasn't like shocked. I was just like more grossed out. Cause they are so like gross looking like initially looking at him. I was like, Ew, what is that? Is that like a horse person? I was like, so disgusted. And then by like by like the end scene where it's like I'm from East Oakland, talk normal or like talk to me normal. I was like, all right, he's just like a horse guy. Like and they didn't gross me out as much, you know. I think I think yeah, that, that was more just like I think the setting is kind of what made it so gross in the first place because the guy like falls on this like this like tiled floor and the lighting's all gross. It's like looks like a really like, gross bathroom basically. So I think it was more the setting than the actual character, if that makes sense. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of the horse people, um, I just want to give like a second to appreciate how great Army Hammer's performance in this movie as Steve Lift was. Oh, it's so good. He it's sold so good. he sold that evil CEO yeah. persona so well. Mm-hmm. It was even though it was a pretty like limited role in this movie, just because it wasn't it wasn't really until the back like third of the movie where he was really a main character it was it was so good every scene every scene he was in i think he stole almost every scene army hammer the thing i noticed in this movie that like i like army hammer i've seen a lot of his movies uh watch slow west on uh netflix that's a really good like hour 30 movie that he's in but uh the thing about army hammer that i noticed in this movie that happened in his others is he's got a he's got that really he's got a really commanding voice does that make sense like his voice is like it's deep and commanding and it like it really like like when he talks you pay attention you know and like so 
and I think that plays into like his evilness as the CEO and kind of manip- manipulation that he does throughout with like just with everybody you know he's very manipulative his character is and I think I think him having such that great like just voice really really helped that a lot yeah I'd agree so overall the horse people if it's been a while since you've seen this movie or haven't seen the movie pretty much Steve Lift is the CEO of a company called Worry Free which is a company that provides food and living for people working for the company of Worry Free and ultimately it's slavery it's modern day slavery and in, in how it's portrayed in the movie and later in the movie they come to find out that Steve Lift wants to turn Cassius Green, Lakeith Stanfield's character, into a horse person because the horse people, the Equisapiens, are more – they're stronger and they are just more efficient than humans are. So it's really like a, like a hardcore metaphor on the word workhorse because Steve Lift wants to turn his employees, he wants to turn the people living in his area into more efficient Equisapiens that – is ultimately extremely messed up. I uh, was just because he wanted to turn cat. He wanted Cassius to be the leader of the Equisapiens. Yeah, he wanted like them he, to be yeah. his quote unquote Martin Luther King Jr. of the Equisapiens. So he wanted to, like, just talking about it is so messed up. He wanted to. I guess he he knew his privilege as kind of a white man amongst Equisapiens, and he wanted to stop their he wanted to stop their protesting he wanted to stop their rebellion before it even happened with an inside man which <laughs> it it really plays into the role and the character of steve lift in this in this movie where he doesn't even like see it as wrong but it's just so messed up when you talk about it ben what were some other themes in this movie you noticed um i wouldn't say necessarily th- themes that were blatant because there's a lot to unpack in this movie with different messages that he tries to shoot across in a more subtle way but there's lots of different things like detroit's earrings throughout the movie um there's different uh elements like such as when they're at the bar at the beginning of the movie and they go into a vip room and then there's the picture that he always pins up uh, next to his computer that has a relative that you presume like looking happy or sad in front of a car and then like there's the whole thing with uh, mr blank not having a name there's just lots of different things that you can read into that honestly like on a third time i'm having trouble coming up for any concrete uh, reasons for i don't know there's if you guys so much any... there's so much symbolism in this movie that it, it like you can't like you can't get it all on one initial viewing like like you said, Ben, you've seen it like three or four times and you still can't get all the symbols just because there are so many. And the whole movie itself is one big like symbol for like modern day slavery and you know racial injustice and stuff like that. One thing about Mr. Blake, if we can get serious about it, is so Mr. Blake is a black man essentially living in a white man's world. You know, if we can get, if we can get, if we want to dig deeper into the symbolism on this, because I found, I found Mr. Blank not having a name really interesting. And I felt, because aside from a Keith Stanfield's character, Cassius, 
like Mr. Blank was the only guy, like the only other black guy that I saw in the, you know, for the power callers or whatever they call them upstairs, you know. And and so I, I don't know, like obviously he had a name, they just didn't reveal it in the movie. They bleeped it out every time it said it. But I think like in modern, like in not modern day slavery, but actual slavery that happened in the 1800s, they would like strip away slaves names, you know, and I and, you know, Mr. Blank wasn't necessarily like a leader as more as he was just kind of an overseer, you know, and so they stripped away his name being the only black man there. I don't know if that was the intention. That's kind of how I got it was they kind of took away his identity and just made him more of a just a face, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of this movie because I took it a completely different way. And I think I saw it as Mr. Blank being the only black man there. He like sold out his identity, sold out his soul to be one of the elites, one of the wealthy elites. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's what Boots Riley did so good with this movie is he he didn't have pre-notioned metaphors and symbolism for everything. Like he kind of set it up and let let the viewer take it whatever way they wanted to. Because there, yeah. there's just like an example for that. We didn't talk about this at all before. But the way Mr. Blank's character was presumed through two different viewings and two different problems with modern day slavery and modern day racism and past slavery, I think it's a it's a really well made film by Boots Riley. Yeah. Uh, also, so Lakeith Stanfield's performance in this is phenomenal. This is I don't know if anyone's been catching on, but this is the third week in the in the row that we've reviewed a uh, Lucky Stanfield uh, like uh, we did. So we did his uh, we did uh, Atlanta where he was more of a side character, and then we did Uncut Gems last week where he was more of a side character, you know. And so this is the first time we've actually seen him as a main character, and he he did uh, uh, and he did. He did fantastic in it. You, we talked the last week about how the anxiety in Uncut Gems gave us anxiety as well. Towards the end of this film, like Lakeith Stanfield's performance was so like convincing, and like I, I felt anxiety from seeing this, and I don't think it was necessarily from the anxiety built up in the movie as it was so much just seeing like Keith Stanfield's reaction and like the cut, like the quick cuts, the constant transitions, the fast paced of it all, like. Like like Keith Stanfield's performance in this was just so so good and it it was it wasn't an easy performance for him to do and he just did it so well it was it really you know it really made the movie what it was I think was his performance aside from all the symbolism and you know uh, tones of you know whatever yeah I'd have to agree Lakeith was extremely good in this movie and just over the last I guess ever ever since I've seen this movie I've really grown to appreciate him as an actor and as an as a young and up and coming actor i think he's going to be a huge part in these in these movies and shows that depict racial injustice as we saw in atlanta in a much more subtle way as opposed to sorry to bother you but i think lakeith is is a really good actor to be kind of that activist yeah yep so before we get into, I guess, comparing it to what's going on right now in America, we should probably get into a few negatives because this is Boots Riley's first film. And, of course, 
of course there's going to be some negatives to the movie and i think I'll, I'll go first one thing that i saw what it can be it can be taken as a positive but i kind of took it as somewhat of a negative there are so many themes that the movie isn't isn't able to get so deep in every single one of them yeah like i think you could easily find 15 or 20 themes in this movie that boots riley was trying to get at and in reality he could have made a movie with probably like three or four and gone super deep into them i think i think that's just boots riley being a first-time filmmaker you know i, I think uh-huh. I, he made he made one other film in 2007 i think it was more of a documentary like biopic thing i wasn't i didn't look into it i just when i was looking up like other stuff he'd done that just popped up so i think that's just him i think that's just him being a first-time filmmaker and having so much to say and not knowing what not to say you know like say for another film or maybe just focus on stuff that you think is more important and more needs to be said. So I think that's just kind of him being new to this. And honestly, for a first film, it was great. Like he oh, did yeah. such a good job. And even I think there's such a rewatchability about it too that having that many themes is like okay in a way because like I could see myself definitely watching this again and then I'll catch on to stuff that I didn't catch on to in the first place, you know. So I think I think if you wanted to add all these films, which I or all these themes, which I do agree was kind of an overkill, he needed to make the movie very very rewatchable so people can pay attention to it more the next time, like the second, third, fourth yeah, time they put it. That's a really good point. Yeah, and so I think I think while I do agree that there was a ton of themes, there's so much rewatchability in it that like it's okay in a way. Yeah, that's why that's why I kind of had it as a mix between the positives and negatives because all the themes he hits on are dead on and he Mm -hmm. does them really well as far as metaphors and symbolism go yeah but i mean we we referenced the football players earlier they they took maybe a minute of the film Mm -hmm. so i think like that theme of letting go of your past could have either been safe for a different movie or maybe just completely left out of it but i definitely see exactly where boots was going in this film um, I had a few small negatives, but I guess we'll get to that when we go to the overall rating. Uh, what I had when I uh, was watching, uh, rewatching this movie, I had a uh, weird cuts, especially when they tried to highlight Detroit's earrings. It seems like it was very sudden, and they like had a lot of prominent focus on them, but it was kind of hard to keep track, and it kind of was jarring in the uh, rhythm that the movie was setting up. Um, they had, I know Boots Riley is a member of a, a group. He's a member of a band, so I know he's uh, probably big on music, and that's uh, something that he's more passionate about, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but it seems like there was lots of jarring music from the coop throughout the whole film. Like, I enjoyed some of it, like the, oh, yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah. I like that, but just like a lot of times the music would just kind of be uh, interrupting to the flow that they were trying to set up. And uh, I don't know that and just maybe a lot of the themes that they had that like it was hard to keep up with, but that's not necessarily something I can blame the movie for. That was just me being frustrated and not being able to define a clear message out of that after three uh, viewings but I wouldn't really count that as a negative. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in agreement. I, I for the most part, like the soundtrack, but 
Ben makes a good point that it is kind of just in your face and sometimes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Just um, yeah. go ahead. Like the songs itself aren't that bad, but sometimes just the volume, kind of like Uncut Gems. Yeah. Yep. That Agreed. Where we talked about where the volume <laughs> is just maybe if you turn it down 25%, it makes the movie a little easier to watch. But yeah. that, like, that's really nitpicking it to the core. I think there's but, so much good in this movie, and I cut you off, Alex. But I think right. that the, the point we want to make as far as the movie and the making of the movie is that for a first film that Boots Riley actually wrote back in 2012, it's mm-hmm. it's very impressive for a, for a filmmaker that doesn't have that much experience yet. So they, they, they wrote this film eight years ago. They This film debuted two years ago. And yet there's so much stuff that is so relevant in this today currently on, you know, June, whatever, what is it, June 4th, 2020. Like, that shows you how good of a job Boots Riley did and how, issue, how the issues he tackled are still relevant and are very important. But uh, getting, getting into my negatives, I think the biggest negative I had was, like, kind of like along the lines of what you guys said, the sound mixing wasn't great at times. Which is, you know, I felt like the biggest complaint I had with Uncut Gems last last week. But the one that really caught me was I love Patton Oswalt as uh, as uh, Mr. Blank's white voice, and then I absolutely adore David Cross as I, I love David Cross, and I love him as uh, Cassius's white voice. But the sound mixing is just not good. It it just sounds too much like a voiceover as opposed to like their actual voice. And like I, I I don't know like the like when like David Cross has a very his voice is very uh not pronounced Tobias Funke Tobias Funke my favorite TV character of all time but uh like uh, David Cross's character is very uh, articulate like he very he enunciates his words very like he, he really enunciates his words and like he Sandfield's words are more flowy and yeah. I just like you'd hear David Cross's voice and how articulate it is but you just see like like he Stanfield's like mumbling a bit. So like like pretty much the only negatives you have about this movie are nitpicky stuff. You know, if you're not an arrogant person. But so that's just one thing that like I love the idea of like the white voice, but I just don't think the execution was really good. Which sucks cuz I love Lakeith Stanfield and I love David Cross and so I wish they would have executed it well. I agreed with that point where uh the dubbing was kind of weird at points like it was like very well like dubbing's kind of hard to get right in general. Yeah, but it was like visually a little bit off, but like audibly it was really funny because some of the white voices were uh, David Cross, uh, Patton Oswalt, uh, Lily James from a Baby Star- Driver, and no other, from other yesterday, stuff. yesterday, from Lily yesterday, James, Star of Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, she was Detroit's white voice, and like yeah, like I mean I like all of those actors, and I think it was a I thought it was a good idea, but. Visually, it was kind of odd, but I don't know. Yeah. That's really nitpicky. That wasn't very major of a negative. Like we said, this is – I think a very important thing when talking about this film coming back is it is Boots Riley's film. Boots Riley isn't a, isn't a film guy. He's a musician. He's a poet. And so, like, if there are small, like, technical things that he didn't do right, like, you can kind of let it slide, number one, because the movie is so good, and number two, because it's, like, his first time doing it. Like, Tarantino wasn't – like didn't perfect his first film, you know. Martin Scorsese didn't have a perfect first film. Like, like Jordan Peele might be the only guy to ever in history to have like 
just a fantastic like first debut film, you know. And even even Get Out had its problems. Uh, Jordan Peele makes the best horror movies. All two of them. Friend of the program, Joe Minky. <laughs> so I think we've talked probably enough just about the the technical stuff of a movie, the as far as the plot and the acting and the symbolism. But it's probably a good time to give our ratings of the movie before shifting into kind of the social commentary of it and what it means in modern day America and the future of America. Before I, but before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Kate Berlant, the the actress who is I think the manager. I don't know yeah. who she is, but I and I think you should leave. Uh, Argo, cameo. Argo. All, Gar- all Garfield. <laughs> also a shout out to uh, Michael X. Summers, the guy who plays Johnny, like the assistant or whatever for the uh, lower side of Worry Free. Oh, yeah. And also the shout bag out, and the tag him guy. Shout out Squeeze. Shout out <laughs> Squeeze. Squeeze. He's from I Think You Should Leave, too. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, so many so many I Think You Should Leave cameos. Squeeze is the one that had the gigantic mud pie. <laughs> Shouldn't have had such a sloppy mud pie. Uh, watch, watch! I think you should leave. <laughs> uh, so, oh, before we get into the rating, I have one more positive. Uh, the bedroom scenes between this is gonna oh, come yeah. off. This is gonna come off really, really wrong. But the bedroom scenes between uh, between Detroit and Cassius, the coloring in every time, every time they're in the bedroom, the coloring is so good. Like especially in the last, like the last bit of it, like the purple. Cassius is like new place after he like gets his pay. Like every every shot in there, the lighting's phenomenal. Whether it's during the day or at night, like at night when it was Cassius in Detroit, they had a really like just fantastic shot. Where it was like a mix of, of purple and red coming from each side, and it was just visually just so pleasing to watch. And also, uh, uh, the last scene where Cassius was on the phone, I think he was calling the paper, maybe, or I forgot who he was calling. Oh no, he was calling uh, uh like the uh. Yeah, he was calling the show, and he was like, uh, but you want to get on the show to show the video, but they had, like, teal and, like, he was, like, teal and orange, and, like, those are two colors that I didn't think would ever go together, and, like, he made him look so, like, uh, Boots Riley made him look so good, and just the coloring in this entire movie was fantastic, and I'm a, I'm a big coloring guy, and so if you do it well, I absolutely love the film, and that was my favorite part probably about this. Yeah, the transition of while... Cash was moving up in the world from a normal telemarketer to a power caller, and it it displayed that through the transition from the bedroom in the garage to the bedroom in the in the studio apartment, mm-hmm. like that that switching of the lamp and the in the pillow oh, and so... the comfort that was that might have been the best like shot scene of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It was an, insanely good. The, this Bruce Riley's film reminds me of. I think it was mid nine. I think it was some of the complaints with mid nineties. Jonah Hill's first film. I haven't seen it. I don't know why. I was looking so much forward to it. Anyway, it's beyond the point. Where a lot of people were saying that like, like between like mid nineties and and uh, sorry to bother you. They're like they like Jonah Hill and Butcher had such like so many ideas and they tried to all fit them into one thing as opposed to like. Like and they tr- they really like if they had an idea like I guarantee that idea of the like the swapping of the apartments was like something the Boots Riley absolutely wanted to do like 
at all like all at all costs and like he's gonna do anything to get it right you know and so i think i think they just had so many extravagant ideas going into the film that like they didn't execute all of them you know 100 percent do we want to get into our rating of the film yeah i bet on anything else i'll i'll start off i'll give it a nine this was on my first viewing one of one of the most enjoyable but also like most thought-provoking films I've ever seen in a movie theater and I love I'm a huge Lakeith Stanfield fan I love Army Hammer's performance the story's incredible and the fact that it still holds up so well today I think makes me appreciate it even more so I'll give it I'll give it a nine I'll give it an I'll give it a nine too uh I think we've said before I just this probably would honestly would be a 10, but just like net piggy stuff. Like I don't give like I, I'm very lenient on ratings except for the 10. So this was a fantastic film. Everyone should watch it because number one, it's a great looking film. It's an interesting film, but also it's an important film and that I think everyone should watch. Yeah. Not with your parents though. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's a big no. <laughs> ben, what's your rating? Uh... Just thinking of that, I forgot one of my positives, which was that initial bit where they had uh, a Cash's desk drop into literally where oh, the yeah. people he was calling yeah, that were. That was so good. Very creepy. I forgot to mention that, but I wish that would have shown up more. Uh, but one of the times was when there were, uh, people were having sex in front of them, so that's one of the reasons you shouldn't watch with your parents. Uh, but if you're not watching with your parents, uh, I'd give it probably an 8 out of 10. Mostly just because I'm nitpicky, but uh, anything above a six is positive for me, and I'm just kind of picky with my ratings. But personally, I think that was an eight, just because I don't know, maybe fatigue from the movie or just uh, I'd like a few more movies better. But it's definitely worth a watch. I do have one more negative before we continue on. Uh, talking about, I think the telemarketing part of it kind of got lost in the shuffle because i think i think it kind of because going into the film i thought that was going to be the main point of it he's like he's like a telemarketer you know but that i didn't i just felt like that didn't play a big enough part in it as like i thought it could but i also get it because you know butchelli is trying to say more of a statement than he has tell a story if that makes sense yeah absolutely so as we've already mentioned with all the events going on in in America right now and even throughout the world it's it's disturbing and it's messed up and I I think that I speak for all three of us when I say that we are privileged white males and I'm not saying that's right and I'm not saying that's how it should be but with the current state of America and with how things have been ever since the birth of America we we are all extremely blessed lucky but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are without our problems but it means that we don't have the same fears and we don't have the same i guess risks of living everyday life like african-american people do in america right now so this podcast is 100 percent for all black lives matter movements we've been pretty vocal on twitter just about supporting the cause and getting justice for George Floyd. And I don't know if you guys want to add any more off of that before we, I guess, break it up into more of a movie to modern-day America 
comparison, but, but I just think I, sh- I should have added that. Yeah, uh, just on that topic, I think that obviously this is a very huge event in American history happening right now, or at least the past decade. And I don't know, maybe it's just because the severity of the outrage and the reaction and the evidence that we're seeing coming out uh, in contrast to all of the things that are happening regarding police brutality or just that uh, time has passed since, as sad as it sounds, the last big uh, popular outrage event a couple years ago. But I'm definitely disgusted almost every time I go on Twitter. But I still feel that it's important to uh, see these things and share these things because, believe it or not, it's not being shared as much anywhere else uh, on major news events and just throughout other uh, places where people receive their information in the world. Uh, A lot of it's either untrue or just uh, blinded entirely. Like, I know, or I've seen uh, lots of people saying how their family members have no idea what's happening because they just get all their advice from the local news and uh, showing the local police officers shove down protesters who are protesting peacefully is not something they're going to promote on their news channel. So they're not seeing it. And I feel that that's just kind of driving home the point uh, home even further that like we should be more vocal and uh, be able to take this as seriously as we can and promoting it to others, even though we not might necessarily not be connected to this community as much as we should be or we would like to be, especially in a suburban Iowa town. Yeah, so... When it comes to Black Lives Matter, I think it really, I think when we, when we really first started hearing about it was uh, the Colin Kaepernick protest in 2016. Uh, I just want to, I think I want to just kind of give a small note there. I wasn't against Kaepernick, but I also wasn't, I was very, very neutral in the situation. I was like, you know, he, it's better than him sitting. Uh, you know, you talk to a military, a former military, you said, we'd rather you give a knee than sit. And so I was like, I don't, I don't find it disrespectful at all. I mean, he's, he's got a cause that he's really passionate about. I, I, you know, if he wants to, if, I, I firmly believe if you're passionate about a cause, then, you know, make it known, you know, I'm not gonna, it, cause it's the, it's your first amendment, freedom of speech. And he can, as long as, I, I don't think it was necessarily disrespecting the flag. I think he was just trying to get a point across. And obviously that rubbed some people the wrong way. So, but at the time I was in the middle of, Kaepernick I didn't hate it I didn't disagree with it but I also like I also could see why some people might not like it but so that's my that was my real first introduction to Black Lives Matter and you know I and then ever since up until now I was very very in the middle of it I was like I think they're going I think I I think their cause is important I think but I also felt that they were going about it kind of aggressively and I didn't really care for that. But like I said, I didn't disagree with them because it was an important cause and they're passionate about it and they're trying to make other people passionate about it. But, uh, coming forward to the day where, you know, I understand. I don't – well, that's the thing is I don't understand and I will never understand. But I can't – that doesn't mean that I can't try to understand and I can't fully support Black Lives Matter and I can't and I can't attempt to help them in their, in their like, you know, uh, in their journey to, you know – you know, make Black Lives Matter and, and, you know, stop, you know, systematic oppression, systematic racism, you know, stop police brutality on the black community, on the, on the minority community. 
and and I, I, I I'm sorry for misquoting because by saying I understand because I, I don't understand and that's I think is the biggest thing that people need to understand that people need to understand is we won't is is us as white as straight white males is we won't understand we won't feel the we won't we won't ever get you know feel oppressed by the system we won't ever experience you know brutality at the hands of police officers and I think there are some things in life that are bigger than ourselves and right now I don't think I think this might be one of the bigger things in our current time one of the things in our current time that is bigger than our like anything we've ever seen is bigger than ourselves you know and so if that makes sense and so I think it's very important to you know donate spread awareness you know be a supportive you know person for your for your black friends and your minority friends and 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 I think Black Lives Matter is important and I think the literally the most we can do is support them donate them spread their awareness you know I don't I think causing a conflict between I think causing racial divide is the absolute last thing we can do because that's not how you make change you make change by coming together and you know working towards a common goal and I think I I, I think Black Lives Matter is is doing a a lot of important work right now and I, I I fully support them you know whatever I, I can, to my best of ability, I'll do whatever they need me to do, you know? Yeah. So I, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think I was in kind of a similar state of mind for a while as when it came to the Colin Kaepernick, I was, I was pro Kaepernick and I, I supported the black lives matter movement, but I don't think I fully cop comprehended it up until just this last week. And Mm -hmm. I think like there's been videos of, black men being wrongfully sh- shot and wrongfully killed by police. But I don't think I've ever felt such a pain watching the George Floyd video for the first time. Yeah. It was, I'm not justifying any of this at all, but in a lot of the prior uh, murders from police to black men, it was impulse decisions with a shot to the heart or to the head. Yeah. This was, an eight, nine minute slow death that I don't think I've ever experienced so much pain watching a single video. So I think that although I can't, I can't know what it's like to be someone that's black living in America. I think that experiencing that pain of watching that death of George Floyd was the, was the most I'll ever feel that movement. And that's why I think I've become so passionate on that. And as Alex was saying, there's things you can do. You can give, you can sign petitions, you can spread awareness. But one thing that Ben had a really good idea before he went to to Wisconsin, uh, he saw a tweet over Twitter that um, was just displaying the black-owned places to eat in Des Moines. So just this short list, there's more than just this. There's Fat Tuesdays. Coaches, Kalaches, Veggie Thumper, Food Truck, Wings on Wheels, Patience American, African Food, sorry, Good Eaten Food Truck, Lifestyle Juices, Palms Caribbean Cuisine, Used to Be Roots, and Street Eats. So one thing that you can do if you're in the Des Moines metro area, Indianola, wherever you are, you can go up and support some locally owned black businesses. Just even if it's a small thing, small act of a $10 meal, it, it, it really can go a long way. And I, I think just without dragging this on too much longer, I think that 
despite being white privileged males, our role in this isn't to be, it's not to be the ones protesting and stuff like that. It's to be the ones that stand up for the protesters. It's the one to be, to stand up for the ones who are oppressed. Because I think that there's, yeah, we can't, we can't just look at the whole situation and say, we're white, so we're not affected by this. Because we, we very much are affected by this. And I think that as Americans, usually usually when it comes to opinions, I'm like, okay, you can have your own opinion on this, and I'll respect that. But if you do not support this movement, and if you are for racial divide, and if you're for racial injustice, you are part of the problem and you are wrong. And I, I hope that you can look yourself in the mirror and recognize this. Because I think no matter what point of view you are on this blacks are oppressed in this country and i think that as as white men there's a there's stuff that can be done that we can do you know there there's there's been a lot of talk in these past couple weeks are i think all three of us we've we've discussed already when this issue with this issue in the past we really stood neutral on the you know we we saw the negatives we probably sided more with you know, this is wrong, but we also saw the positives, I think. At least that's me personally. I don't want to group you guys in with me if that's not the case. But we've seen a lot recently that if you're standing neutral, you know, you're siding with your oppressor. And while I don't fully agree with that, I also don't disagree with that at all. And I think that's part of why I have, you know, taken a stand on this, why I have given more support as opposed to me just kind of, you know, keeping my mouth shut about this in the past because I'm afraid to get, you know, ratioed on Twitter. And uh, I was listening to – I'm a big fan of part of my take, the Barcelona podcast. Part of my take did an interview, I think it was either Monday or – I think it was Monday – yeah, Monday, where uh, they interviewed Arian Foster. It's a 45-minute interview with Arian Foster where it's you know PFT and Big Cat, and they just asked him – it's a 100% serious interview. They just asked him questions, you know, how they can support, asked him to explain some of the situation from a black man, black man in America's view. And it, it and it it really resonated with me, and it really made me take a side. And I think the one the one quote that uh, PFT had on it was, uh, you know, they sit there and they interview black athletes, and they look him in the eye, and he doesn't think he didn't think that he can interview these black athletes and um, uh, and you know men and women, and then look him in the eye and not take a stand on something that he knows is wrong, you know, or not voice his opinion. And that really resonated with me as someone that you know, that works with black athletes and student athletes. And I, and I interact with them on a daily basis. I can't sit here and be silent about this issue that is so pressing and important to them. And I, you know, these guys make my, they, they feel my job. I, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for what these guys do on the field or on the court or, you know, wherever. And so by not supporting them, you know, I'm not, I'm not, they're giving me my job. I'm not supporting them in their ways, if that makes sense. And so I can't interact with these guys. I can't, you know, I, uh, if I don't if I don't support them off the field off the court how can I support them on the court you know how can I interact with them how can I be my best person to them how do, can I treat them right if I'm not supporting them and you know social issues that are very very important to them as people because they're more they are more than just athletes you know that's a very important thing and I know this isn't really a sports podcast but this is what relates to me and this is what made me change my opinion and my view and my stance on it and so I and then you know you uh, me, Jake, and Ben, we, we have a platform now with this podcast. I think it's very important for us to use our voice to spread awareness, you know, to, to create a discussion about it among people that maybe would stand indifferent on it. And so, you know, here I am using my platform to say, you know, support it because it's important. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so we've already talked about Sorry to Bother You just as a film as a whole, but I think that movies like this that touch on the issues of race in this country I think are so well relatable to current events like this. And that's what I think the beauty of Sorry to Bother You is. So I think this is a movie that if it was made in the 50s would have been extremely apparent in the civil rights movement. And if it was made 15 years ago, it would have been apparent. And in 40 years, I think this movie will still hold up well, bearing some big changes, opposed to a movie like Black Klansman that is entirely specific to one like current event with the mm-hmm. Ku Klux Klan. And that's what I think is so good about this movie is it is it's completely original and it's using fake companies, fake ideas that are able to just build this whole world of racism that I think resembles our current world really well. It's a it's a dystopian future filled with symbolic racism. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. So uh, go ahead. There are so many metaphors in this movie, and I, I've probably got three or four that I want to get to, but there's so many more. But I think just the first one I want to touch on while we're on the topic of, of protesting, in this movie, it's almost a, it's almost just a carbon copy of what's going on. The, the Regal View employees go on strike, and it's a two, three, four week strike. And every day, there's more people that come to it. And every day, the SWAT team comes and batons and beats people with the riot shields that are standing in the way. And I just I just think this was a metaphor before its time of the police protecting something that they view as more important, which could be their ego, could be CEOs like Steve Lift, it could be President Donald Trump. Like, I think the police... Even if the individuals don't have this, I think the system that's in place is to protect the the wealthy elites. It's to protect the ones that are funding the police department, to that are funding the country. And I think that as we've seen in this situation that we're dealing with, sometimes the cops are just mauling over innocent, peaceful protesters that aren't doing anything. And in Sorry to Bother You, the only act of violence is towards the end of the movie with the football players and the Coke can. But up until that, it's just peacefully protesting, but the cops still use brute force to get through. And I think that that, even though this movie was made two years ago, it still holds up almost identical to today. Mm-hmm. The, the, the scene of them pushing the wealthy elite through the crowd of peaceful protesters by use of SWAT team is, I mean, you could put, you can make that movie today, right now, you know, 2020 and June, you could air it on the news and yeah, it and it'd be identical to something mm-hmm. we've already seen in the, this past week. So like you said, this holds up extremely well. And I think that's a big a part of Blue Charlie really understanding, you know, life as a black man and understanding what people go through and understand issues that are still, that have been, that were important. 20, 30, 40 years ago and are so important, you know, today in 2020. I think another, this was probably the best scene of the movie, but probably the most disturbing for me. The rap scene in Steve Lift's mansion, 
So Cash, other than Mr. Blank, is the only, if I'm right, is the only black man in the entire mansion at the party. And everyone's kind of just obsessing over him as like, hey, Cash, how about you rap for us? Just assuming that he could rap because he was black. And this is a clear play on the stereotypes that are that I'm extremely guilty of. I, I think everyone would agree with that, where we just fall into the stereotype of, oh, I see a black person, they they must be good at rapping. Like, I think that that's a huge problem of modern stereotyping in America. And that scene is just, it's so dark and realistic. So Cash Lakeith Stanfield goes up there, and he's trying to rap, but he can't. And he's trying to rhyme stuff. And he's not able to. And then he he uses the N-word and other curse words to just to scream. And it's low-key. It's low-key a really good song. Yeah, it, it sounds so good. But the most disturbing part of it is he's performing to a crowd of white people that are all just repeating the N-word after he says it. And it was just a such a play on what is going on just in like modern America hip-hop culture where we're like flashback to uh whenever my type comes on whenever I was at college last year all the mostly white girls would jump in (laughs) all lyrics included and uh yeah even the racial slurs yeah and I mean it's played comedically but at the same time it's also played like Jake said very dramatically and it's realistic, unfortunately. And it's yeah, it's really a dance. It's really a dance monkey dance type of situation, you know. Where where they they're like you're like oh you know you're black you fit the stereotype so you can rap right it's a stereotype so perform mm-hmm. for us and he's like he's insisting he's like no 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 I can't rap like seriously I don't I can't rap and they're like no you're gonna do this thing because you know. We're we're above you and we're gonna force you to do this. You know we're gonna we're gonna force the monkey to dance. So it's it's honestly while it's funny, it's when you, looking back on it, it's really disturbing. You know. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have any metaphors or themes in this movie that you wanted to highlight or emphasize? Just the scene of the of the SWAT, you know, running over the protesters. That's what I. Also, the end where they fought back, even though they used the you know the horse people to fight back. I I don't know what would be the symbolism for the horse people because I don't I didn't really understand the symbolism for that. What did you take from it? I I didn't necessarily take anything from it other than one way that you can interpret it is you create like you can create the biggest monster like yourself. And Steve Lift, in attempt to make this great idea for for america and for the economy he just created something that was able to fight back and something that little did he know would like be the death of him okay that's 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 very symbolic of you know today's times oh sorry um excuse my stereotypical uh, analysis of that question of why the horses or why that transition uh, I personally saw that as just a straightforward uh, example of using, um, in this case, uh, African Americans, or primarily the poverty-stricken, which are unfortunately are a lot of the black population, 
and seeing them as just a manual labor or brute strength. And then the horses, the Equisapiens, are unclothed. And also that has to do with the physical attributes that is a stereotype. And I think that was kind of straightforward along with, I mean, Steve Lift said it himself. And uh, that was just kind of my interpretation of it. Ultimately, the horses, the horses, uh, the horses were private parts were exposed is what Ben's trying to get at. Uh, that's the only point I'm making. Ultimately, yeah. this is a play all the way back to the 1800s when slavery was a huge component of America, and slave owners would purposely breed the most strong slaves to make stronger slaves. And this is a conversation that, for me, is extremely disturbing because that's the reason why they're why the NFL and the NBA are filled with spectacular African American athletes. It's not okay. it's not because necessarily their entire um, genetic makeup from the start, but the breeding of slave owners in America from over 200 years ago played a huge role in that. And that's extremely depressing. And I think it's almost a play on what Steve Lift did. Okay, so I'm probably going to get on a bit of a tangent here, but here's how I interpreted it, or at least here's my understanding of how to explain it. Are you guys familiar with who Nat Turner are? Is I'm not. So Nat Turner was a slave who, when he was born, his parents and, his, and the members on his plantation thought he was you know, special in the way that he could talk directly to God and I'm not going to go into the deep history of it, but he there's like three different times where he had uh, – he, he, uh, first off, uh, Nat Turner ran the first successful slave revolt. There's several attempts of a slave revolt, but uh, all of them fell. His was the first successful one. He And uh, one night, I think it was like a September, he rode across the Virginia countryside. Him and there was like, like 60 slaves from different plantations where they went into each plantation and killed all the white you know, men, women, and children, and then went on to the next plantation. And it was a rampage against the – countryside and eventually they were all stopped and either arrested or killed in a in a small virginia town that they were attempting to read but my my first semester of college this year i took an african-american history class which looking back on it i am 100 i am so happy i did because it educated me so much on these important topics especially going on today but writing it back to nat turner nat turner like jake you talk about you know nat turner and these slaves were bred during times of slavery to be like the biggest the strongest or whatever and in, in, and in comparison to the movie, uh, Steve Lift created these horse people, bred them to be like the strongest humans that can, you know, work, like work the most, lift heavier than the average people. And then these horses end up revolting on their creator. And in Nat Turner's case, Nat Turner and the slaves ended up turning back on this men who, who honestly, slave, slave owners back in the time of slavery and Steve Lift in this movie, they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Like they were like, you know, I'm giving these people housing. I'm giving them jobs. Like, why, 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 why would they not like this life? You know, they don't understand what they were. Doing they were abiding by the current laws and yep, thinking they, that it's okay. So, so my interpretation of the horse people are, like you said, like like these people breed these big creatures, and then they don't understand that they don't like the way you're treating them. And they can revolt on them, like that Turner did. And I think it was like 1860 or something like that. But the paper I wrote, my final paper uh, in this class, my first semester, was how was how Nat Turner's slave revolt 
was the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement because during civil rights time, they would reference Nat Turner and it's a, they reference it as a way of fighting back as, and that's a very common theme as we go right now is you wouldn't listen to our peaceful protest. You wouldn't listen when we were begging you. So we're going to fight back in hopes that you'll listen. And Nat Turner's revolt, the government did listen. They made laws that prohibited black, Nat Turner could read, write, you know, speak eloquently and they prevented and so after Nat Turner's rebellion, the government passed laws that, that literally made it illegal for slaves to be able to read and write and learn how to. And so they and so the system is afraid of a revolt of the people that they feel are beneath them, if that makes sense. And then this movie would be the horse people and they end up fighting back and it causes change or, or regal view. They end up fighting back for higher pay and it causes change, albeit theirs was a peaceful protest. And and so Black Lives Matter running back is they they tried peacefully they tried protesting but now they're fighting back and it's and it's causing change you know these cases of men that were wrongfully murdered by police are being reopened the the charges are being more harsh you know these men aren't getting off scot-free like they have been in the past and i and so that's what my paper was about is how that turner's movement inspired black lives matter inspired the civil rights movement because it, it showed these people that you need to fight back to get change and and while I personally don't believe violence is always the answer in this case, I think it kind of has to be, if that makes sense. And I think and comparing it back to the movie, that's how they found out how to get change was they had to fight back. You know, they had to protest, they had to riot, they had to, you know, physically fight back, whatever. And in the case of the horse people, that's how they got became free was fighting back. And in the case of the writers, they protested and that's how they fought back. So that's how I interpret you know, the horse people and the protesting in this movie and in relation to today's and the history and the symbolism that Boutrelli was trying to, you know, ex- express. Sorry, sorry for the tangent. It's just I felt it was something that had to be that was important to say. So I, I agree with everything you just said, and I think the tangent that I'm going to go off on right now is just the character development of Cassius Green throughout this movie. So Cassius starts out as this broke kid just begging for a job as a telemarketer. Turns out he's really good at that, and he he sticks to the script, which ultimately is a huge metaphor for like what what we're supposed to do in this country. It's what Colin Kaepernick was. Oppression. Yeah, it's what Colin Kaepernick was supposed to do. Him kneeling for the national anthem was not sticking to the normalized routine script of the national anthem at an NFL game. He went off the cusp doing that, and I think that in this movie. By sticking to the script, Cash was agreeing to the racism and oppression that was against his kind and was against the African-American culture. And uh, the white voice was a clear was a clear metaphor of sounding white as not not like sounding like a white dude, but sounding like you have everything together and you have no problems. And by, by going with the white voice and by sticking to the script, Cash rose to the top and had everything he wanted, but he lost his friends, he lost his he lost his girlfriend, and he lost his true heart and what he fought for. And eventually as he as he saw the as, as he saw the equ- sapiens and as he saw what was going on at Worry Free and what was going on with the modern day slavery, he completely revolted against it and he went on national television through all the odds took a beating and jumped in a pile of crap so that he could spread the message across and i think that the character development 
of Cassius Green in this movie through all the metaphors of the white voice and through the metaphors of sticking to the script and just the traditional like build your way up to wealth and then see it's not that great and fall back down. I think it was done so well and it it shows the powers of it shows what the power of modern day racism is in America. And I think that you could really compare this to a lot of athletes where sometimes I guess for so many years, these ass, these athletes had to not sell out, but they weren't able to stand up for what they believed in. Shut and I think, and t- yeah, shut up and dribble as we saw with the Fox news anchor, um, Two years back, when LeBron spoke out about, I believe it was a police shooting, she said, shut up and dribble. But when Drew Brees, a white man, uh, spoke up about how kneeling for the national anthem is wrong in the midst of all this, she said, he's allowed to have an opinion. And I think like that metaphor right there is just exactly what's wrong with America right now. It's a double standard and... It's it's the privilege, and I think that there's nothing that we can do that's going to fix that, but there's some stuff that we can do that can raise awareness and that can help it. And I think that right now, even though America is in such a dire, horrible situation, I think that we're in a good position where our generation is so much more informed and so much more passionate about this whole issue than I believe as far as white generations go. I think – for our age group and for uh, the the generation Z, I don't think any white white culture has cared about this movement as much as ours has. And I think that even though those benefits may not be reaped immediately, they may not be reaped next year, down the down the line when the people holding positions and offices and even celebrities when they're when they're white males or when they're white females i think that they're gonna have so much more compassion and so much more empathy for this entire situation so even though that like right now things are awful because they are i think that by continuing to raise awareness for this our generation might be prone to help this movement more than more than a lot of past generations yeah i i agree completely with what you said you know, I think we go on more tangents this episode than we ever have, but I think this is a very important issue to go on a tangent about because there is so much to say and it's so much that I, I feel like I can't say. And like I said before, I have a platform now that I can express this on. I feel it's important. Uh, ben, do you have any words you want to state or anything? I've been uh, very angry just seeing all of these clips on Twitter. And yeah, like honestly, I watched this movie through a different light just because of the past events of this really long week we've just had. And uh, I looked at this film different and just walking around urban Madison, I kind of looked at things different. Obviously the protests were still very active and the after effects of were as well. But um, I think this is like really changed like my attitude and like how I need to act and how I need to hold others accountable to act. If I'm going to be, around them or supporting them or any way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that even though these conversations aren't the most fun to have, 
when the world is on fire and America's burning. These are conversations that I think are necessary. And even if our reach isn't that of a lot of other podcasts or a lot of other influencers, I think that if this does reach one person and changes their perspective on it, I think that's a win for me. And I, yeah. Yeah. I think I can speak on the behalf of you too when I say that. And I think that um, just going off of this on behalf of like the Turbo Team podcast and on behalf of the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm going to be making a donation of $50 tonight for for this movement and for a cause. And I would encourage any listeners of this show that if they feel compelled, I think that that might be a good thing for you to do. Because even if even if there's not a lot that we can say that can change this, this situation, giving money and giving it to important causes and important charities, I think can help this situation in dire need. I, it, I think, I think you, you said it right word. There's not a whole lot we can say, but there's a lot that we can do. And I think that right now as a, as white people living in America, the most we can do is it, the most we can do is do is you know donate spread awareness you know be active in the discussion be a, a part of the discussion uh don't don't sit neutral uh you know mm-hmm. obviously we want obviously you want to be on the right side of history so if you, uh, i mean use your everybody has a platform whether you know it or not some are some are bigger than others but everyone has a platform so you know, use your even if you have 50 Twitter followers, you know, you have an opinion, you're you have Twitter, you're allowed to say it as an American. And so, you know, make sure you make your voice heard, even if it is to a small crowd. And I think that's what we're doing today. And I think well, I think this discussion is very important to have. And I'm glad we had it, even if this isn't that serious of a podcast or th- these aren't necessarily issues we tackle. This is an issue that is very important right now in the world. And it's a, an issue very important to me. And I think uh, what we said was you know, had to be said and it was a necessary discussion. Yeah. <laughs> we watched Dave two weeks ago. And now we watched Dave two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> or if you follow any of our personal Twitters, that too. <laughs> yeah. I had a stupid tweet the other day. What even was it about? Nobody liked it. Uh <laughs> sure oh, this one in the drafts, bro. About my tweet the other day was my tweet the other day was my four days ago. I tweeted my first dance of my wedding is going to be the renegade, and now here I am discussing political movements on a podcast. So I don't, I I don't like to, I don't like taking myself too seriously, but I think this is an issue that I need to. So. Yeah, I I think that I hit on every point I wanted to as far as the metaphors and the themes of sorry to bother you in current day America are. Um, Black Lives Matter use your platform don't be silent speak up for the oppressed that's all I really have to say do you guys have anything else to add to this discussion no sir well I think that's going to do it for week 10 of the Turbo Team podcast we want to thank you guys for taking the time of day to listen in even though the this wasn't a very fun discussion to have. I think it was one that's essential. And I, I just want to encourage everyone listening, encourage Ben and Alex, just do the right thing. Stand up for what's right. We, we're in a unique position where we don't have to deal with the, the, 
we don't have to deal with the threats that african-american yeah the the repercussions the that african-americans do in our society so we want to thank you guys for listening and we will be back next week with week 11 we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the turbo team podcast our social medias are linked in the bio follow us on twitter at the turbo team pod you can listen to all episodes on apple Podcasts, spotify or any other platform where podcasts are listened to thank you for listening